Hi, welcome. Hello. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. We are your hosts, Emily Bajan and Margot Poupard. Welcome. Welcome back to Sexy Teen Thrillers. Oh, uh, yeah. They're super sexy and they're teens. And thrilling. Oh, yeah. Don't forget, there's always like espionage, double cross, light oh, yeah. murder. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about four very influential films oh, to yes. us personally. Obviously, sexy teen thrillers continues to be a thing. I'm trying to think of a good one from like recent past. I know that you and I had talked about possibly including Slim Fan in this, but yeah. I think originally we came up with this idea because we were talking about our love of the movie Fear. Oh my god. Which unfortunately falls like slightly out of the scope of the time period that we're kind of looking at to dissect, but uh, is definitely included in the pantheon of sexy teen thrillers Absolutely. or like formative sexy teen thrillers and when I mean formative it's like the type of thriller or type of movie per, better yet where you point to that time in your life and you're like wow I shouldn't have watched that <laughs> no absolutely I think someone once said it best that it was like a, it's as if a dad had made a thriller <laughs> like a teenage girl's dad had made a thriller it's like movie. this is what happens when you date that fucking deadbeat <laughs> she's mine <laughs> oh god I mean honestly the weird the virginity and, like, possessiveness oh of women God. is definitely on par with, like, the Bachelor universe oh, tone, yeah. you know? And and there's no, there's really little in between in these teen thrillers. It's either, it's very much the Madonna horror, like... Oh, for sure. To, uh, like, a steroid amount of well, teen. Well, we gotta, we gotta keep it that simple because we're, we're marketing to teens. They're not of that course. smart. We're not, yeah, no. Because <laughs> we say we're not smart. <laughs> well, I mean that too, but... Yeah. <laughs> But also teens. Teens are real dumb, and they'll They're buy so whatever dumb. you give them. So, so dumb. But I think that ties in nicely to kind of what sets up this whole genre, and that is that, obviously, in the 80s, we had John Hughes, and great dialogue shows what teens are really like. Also doesn't hold up very well in light yeah. of current 2019 standards. Yeah, that 16 candle scene. No, Anthony, yeah, not And we'll good. get into it with the movies that we've picked, but yeah. those they also have some, like, questionable scenes that like maybe wouldn't have been greenlit so, yeah. yeah or like they give you pause now or in for me some of them was like i don't even remember that happening because it probably blocked out my brain yeah and this is also the first time you saw it you're like 12 at a sleepover and you're like oh well, i'm gonna ignore this um i'll have you know i saw cruel intentions in theater with my mom and one of her really good friends because he Worked at DreamWorks, he still works at DreamWorks, and he got advanced screenings, and he's like, oh, you like Sarah Michelle Gellar, you like Buffy, you like Ryan Felipe. A modern adaptation of Dangerous Liaisons. I mean, I honestly didn't know what I was getting into. The thing was, is like, the other movie that he had blindly taken me to was Josie and the Pussycat Dolls, and that was great. The uh, Pussycats. <laughs> Pussycat Dolls. That would have been a okay, fucking I should, movie. I should also uh, put a little disclaimer on me. I am... Feeling a little bit under the weather, and I don't really know where I am. <laughs> so, um, if I say something weird like Josie and the Pussycat Dolls, just roll with it. Just, yeah. you know, everybody has their thing. <laughs> anyway, he had brought me to Josie and the Pussycats beforehand, loved it. So, I was okay. like, oh, yeah, Sarah Michelle Geller, Reese Witherspoon from Fear, which I had already known her from Fear even at, like, yeah. 10 or 11. But this movie was... I mean, another great sex scene that I had to cringe through while sitting next to my mother was during 8 Mile. Oh, um, my God. Which ties in perfectly with this because there's a Brittany Murphy tie between 8 Mile and Cruel Intentions that I will get to when I get to it. But, um... Carry on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I saw Cruel Intentions no, in theater. So, Humble brag. <laughs> Humble brag. 
So anyway, John Hughes, all this dialogue, it's like cutting edge. Teenagers are portrayed as real humans who can be intelligent people. And then in the 90s, it starts to take an even more elevated tone. Amy Heckerling um, ends up writing and directing Clueless, which is just, you know, we talk about Clueless. It's like a modern day take on Emma. Yes, yes. Emma, right? It is Emma, yeah. And just the dialogue is so perfect. The characters are great. There's just incredible writing, and it just really puts this new type of teen movie on the map. And then we start to see, you know, Kevin Williamson is a big part of this. The rise of Kevin Williamson, because I feel like he touches and influences, I mean, first of all, several of these movies are written by him that we're about to talk about. Yes. But also, he he definitely set the tone in the 90s and the standard, kind of, of what your teen movie or teen TV show, whether it be a comedy or a romance or a drama or any combination of the three, yeah, he set the standard for it. So he comes out with Scream. And, and gave us, sorry, false expectations of what high school would be like. Oh, absolutely. We went to way more school than any of these people ever went to. That's true. That's true. I wore a lot of flowy skirts, too, because of that. A lot of American Eagle type clothing. <laughs> I think, like, literally American Eagle was a sponsor of Dawson's Creek at one point. I think you're right. Like, I remember seeing the ad for it. It's, like, the official outfitter. Right, because, and I remember there was, like, a Delia's-like store. Oh, fuck. The name of it is on Tempo Casuals. But it was, like, a, oh, God. uh, uh, It was, like, a Me Too, like, Express Me Too, whatever the, like, Express Kids line was. Limited Too? Limited Too. Oh, my God. Sorry. Wow. We, like I said, cold meds. Um... There was a limited two that had like headshots of like Dawson's Creek cast oh and Boy Meets World cast. Yes. So I wonder if there was a tie-in in there, or if it was just like teens. Here are pictures of hot celebs. Yeah. Come buy our shit. Here's Katie Holmes in a V-neck sweater. <laughs> buy it. You can't pull it off, but buy it anyway. <laughs> so many, so many of my outfit choices from middle and high school could be directly referenced to. Mandy Moore or Katie Holmes pulled it off, but you can't, but good good effort. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. So anyway, Kevin Williamson shows up. He writes Scream, and this movie just is a huge hit, and you have great characters, and it gives us Nev Campbell off of, you know, fresh off of, well, she's still on Party of Five, but Party of Five. Drew Barrymore, you get all these great people. Rose but also trying to, like, and I think similar to Cruel Intentions, a lot of the people that are in Scream did so to sort of change their image. Yes. So instead of Nev Campbell being, like, she's still sort of like a, get, like Sydney is still sort of like a get, goody two-shoes type, but she wanted to sort of break away from, like, I'm just a TV actress, I'm just on Party of and, Five. Yeah, and notably breaks the horror stereotype that uh, only virgins survive. Yes. Yes. Well, also, all of it is the entire movie, T to B, is just filled with, like, breaking horror stereotypes or calling them out right. baldly and being like, we're going to swerve on this or do a different spin on it. Which also is exactly Kevin Williamson's style. Yeah. Dialogue-heavy, smart-ass, witty, commentary, very uh, meta. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that greenlights Kevin Williamson's career to go do Dawson's Creek later, the I Know What You Did Last Summer movies. And opens up a whole new set of teen, sexy teen thrillers that pop up in the years, like, 96 to about 2000, 2001-ish. There's just, like, a lot a lot there. And I think this kind of leads us to, you know, Dawson's Creek, obviously starring one Joshua Jackson, who shows up in... Cruel Intentions! Yay! Which I'm sure you've all heard by now since they re-released it in theaters cruel intentions turns 20 this year of our lord in 2019 which makes sense because that's how time works because this movie came out in 1999 Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh cruel intentions was definitely benefited from what you were saying 
of like the teen craze of like oh teens aren't like dumb idiots that just like get murdered in horror movies or are either like super slutty or like jocks or like the bookworm or it wasn't they were sort of breaking away from sort of the breakfast club right right stereotypes of teens well like and you think about I'm not going to go too much into your sure, thing, sure, but, sure, but, no, Ka- but Catherine, the character of Catherine, yes. every, all of her identities, which you'll, I'm sure you're going to go into, but that character in itself, being a class president, but also being all these other things. A cokehead? Yeah. Her iconic coke necklace? The rosary. That was like, I always thought, I wondered. Honestly, Catherine had. made me scared of private school kids for a lot of my life. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I just thought, like, she's so mean and she's so pretty. <laughs> oh I don't God. ever want to meet someone like this in a dark corner. Oh, my God. But Cruel Intentions was a really, it was a byproduct of Right Time, Right Place, and particularly the two producers who were looking to for a movie that put young people in adult situations. One of those producers, and it's really fun to note, would go on to produce the Fast and Furious franchise. So that dude is hella rich now. <laughs> Good for him. Uh, but Cruel Intentions was written and directed by Robert Cumble, who went on to at least direct, I, I don't believe he wrote these, but had directed The Sweetest Thing, which I fucking love. Oh, me too. And Just me Friends, too. another underrated rom-com that I mm-hmm. find very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently, he directed a bunch of episodes of Suits. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought, considering the <laughs> Meghan Markle of the current times, was a really fun little tidbit. Um, the Cruel Intentions was inspired by Welcome to the Dollhouse and 18th century French aristocrats behaving badly in Liaison Dangereux. Oh, that's interesting because Eric Mabius is both in Welcome to the Dollhouse and Cruel Intentions. Oh, I hadn't made that connection. Yeah. But then it also forced me to go down a Welcome to the Dollhouse, like, momentary K-hole. And I forgot how dark that fucking movie was. So dark. Another movie that I watched at a time when I probably shouldn't have. But we, as a kid, would go up to Big Bear and go to this cabin every winter, and they had, like, maybe ten VHS tapes, and one of them was Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, and I watched that way too many times. <laughs> and then when I got sick of it, I moved on to Welcome to the Dollhouse, and as a kid, I remember feeling, like, I, I just remember after I felt, watched it, I felt deeply weird afterwards. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah. I feel so sad and uncomfortable, and... Oh, and when then I saw that Todd Zalance movie later, um, Happiness, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, where he, like, jizzes on a picture of, um... Laura Flynn Boyle. Yes! That whole movie has, like, there's a character crossover in there, too. And it sort of, like, was, like, when when you're at the end of a movie and you have, like, a montage of all of these moments leading up to this, I was like, yeah. oh, no! Dear God. <laughs> Back to Cruel Intentions. It was originally titled Cruel Inventions. Uh, <laughs> the story always remained the same, which was it featured a pair of scheming, semi-incestuous step-siblings. I mean... On one level, I kind of got it, but on the other level, as somebody who had a stepbrother that I thought was gross and annoying and just took up a lot of space and <laughs> was a general pain in my ass, um, I didn't really fully understand how you'd want to fuck your step-sibling, but whatever. Anyway, uh, we had the alluring, coke-cross-wearing Catherine and the jag-driving, womanizing Sebastian, who make a bet over whether or not Sebastian can deflower Annette, the daughter of the new headmaster of their prep school. Uh, the role of naive and impressionable and just downright strange Cecile almost went to Brittany Murphy, which, oh my God. in rewatching that brief clip of Ryan Felipe, or Sebastian, excuse me, trying to, basically blackmailing Cecile into letting him eat her out and feeling really uncomfortable by that, but all of, like, the, like, I'm sexy, like, I'm really sexy, oh and her yeah. showing, like, her, her sexy poses... I couldn't help but think of Ty. Oh, for sure. Being like, like, you're a virgin who can't drive. 
Just like the, her singing the Mentos commercials. You're like, Mentos fresher, Mentos better. And her just like being really goofy and weird. It just reminded <laughs> me of that scene. I was like, I could totally see Brittany Murphy playing this character. I but hope ultimately. Not sporadically. <laughs> not sporadically. And Josh said that like women in college, they don't wear a lot of makeup. Just, oh my God, I could go on all day. I love this fucking movie. Um, but I could totally see Brittany Murphy playing that character. But Selma Blair, this was her first big acting role. Yeah. And in, I have to credit, a lot of this info does come from an Entertainment Weekly article, which is in honor of the 20th anniversary. It's an oral history of the movie. And so it's interesting to hear Selma Blair talk about how she had been auditioning hardcore before she got this role and that she was giving was getting a lot of shit from casting directors for being over 18 but reading for teen roles even though she looked like she could convince them convincingly play a junior or senior in high school oh absolutely um and so she ended up sort of getting the role because she gave the director cumble like kind of or Cumble a little bit of shit because he was like, "How old are you?" She's like, "How old are you?" Because she was like, kind of over it at yeah, this point. Yeah, which I found to be incredibly funny. Good for you, Summer Blair. I know. Uh, so Ryan Felipe was cast as Sebastian prior to Reese Witherspoon even being remotely involved, and so I know a lot of people think that Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Felipe met on the set of this movie. They were actually already dating. Um, I think it'd be more accurate to say that Reese Witherspoon became pregnant or had her daughter around the time of Cruel Intentions. Oh, my God. Which is crazy, because she was, like, I don't know, early 20s? Baby Ava. Yep. Who looks exactly like her mom. Exactly like her. Totally freaky. But anyway, so Ryan Felipe was the one who thought that Reese Witherspoon would be a good fit for the role of Annette, but she thought the role was a little bit too thin and didn't really quite have... It wasn't, like, a great role for her. Like, she didn't really need to break out of any sort of mold. Like, Sarah Michelle Gellar took the role initially, even though her agents thought it was a bad idea. But she took it because she wanted to, like, be something different and yeah. open some different doors. And, yeah. like, you know, she dyed her hair brown for fuck's sake. She was committing to this fucking role. Yeah, that's right. And I also think the idea, uh, like, everybody talks about how the script was really funny and really elevated and that, there were, like, the serious parts were really well written and that, like, the farcical sort of more campy elements were really good and everybody got the joke, which sort of, like, fueled the disappointment when Cruel Intentions wasn't, like, a critical or box office success in the end. But Reese Witherspoon has always been doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, she'll always do fine. And so she was like, I don't need this fucking role. And so apparently... She got tricked a little bit into going to dinner with the director and her boyfriend at the time, and they gave her a couple glasses of wine and essentially talked her into it, but she had one sort of caveat, which is that she wanted to basically rewrite the role, and so Cumble definitely credits her with being the driving force and pretty much, like, the whole reason why Annette is as much of, like, a fleshed-out character and relatable, and you do root for her. And yeah. You, I mean, I remember when he dies at the end, I cried. Yeah. I was also 11 and definitely not supposed to be seeing this movie. <laughs> But <laughs> I definitely saw it on HBO when it was on HBO because my parents had a free preview and you, I should not have seen it. You gotta love those free HBO days. Oh my god. <laughs> but I definitely cried because I was really rooting for him to like not be like a piece of shit misogynist yeah. anymore yeah. and like really commit to her. And when he does, he gets hit by a car and dies. And this movie also has one of like the best endings. Oh my and god. And whether or not I don't whack. in retrospect, I wonder if Mean Girls the scene where um Oh God! What um, Regina prints out the burn book, yeah, and implicates Lindsay Lo- Katie as the person who's like spreading all these horrible lies. If that right. was influenced in any way by Cruel Intentions, because there's that scene at the very end, yeah, where Cecile and Annette have teamed up together, 
and have printed out Sebastian's journal because throughout the whole thing he's like writing down all of his like sexcapades and like bets with various people and like who's banging who. who and he's a, what teenage guy has a journal? None. None. I don't know. Like I understand that like, Catherine is like the sex positive character that's just like I'm a fuck like a dude. Yeah. And yeah, to be completely yeah. honest, like I definitely borrowed a lot of inspiration in my late teens, early twenties from Catherine's being like, I'ma just plow down some dudes. <laughs> like I'ma I set my sights on one person and be like, that's the one and I'll make it happen. And nine times out of ten it worked. But um I was definitely channeling some Catherine with my darker hair and I had bangs on like her, but I was definitely doing some coke during that time as well. Anyway. <laughs> um they print out Sebastian's journal, not totally buying that a man keeps a journal, and hands it all out and Essentially, uh, Catherine is, like, shamed and her whole facade of, like, a self of, like, being class president and, like, being super perky and being, like, the welcoming committee and, like, she's supposedly nice and she's showing Cecile how to make out and she's helping Annette meet her stepbrother and, like, when really she's just, like, this master puppet behind the scenes. Yeah. Just, like, she definitely has, like, her Wizard of Oz moment where this is just a man behind a curtain. Yeah. And then we see, oh, I'll just jump to this because this was my favorite discovery of reading this uh, Entertainment Weekly article. So, the infamous ending where Annette drives off in Sebastian's Jag at the very end, and she's, like, totally vindicated with, like, her cool Ray-Bans, set to the iconic Bittersweet Symphony, was actually supposed to be Rolling Stones the last time, but it was too expensive. It was, like, $10 million or something crazy to, like, get this, or a million dollars, excuse me, to get the song, which is, like, 10% of their budget. And so, instead, they gave us the gift of the verb pipe. So, you know the the story behind that song, too, with Bittersweet Symphony. So, it's samples... The, okay, so there was some random orchestral group in the 60s who had written, uh, done an orchestral version of the Rolling Stones last time that has, and that's what the Verb sampled in their song, and it got to be a lawsuit, so the Verb, like, ends up making not very much money from Bittersweet Symphony because they end up owing a ton of royalties to... Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and the guy, I think the guy who did the Keith, orchestration. Keith, I snorted my dad's yeah. ashes, Richards. Yeah, yeah. so and, and ultimately, the verb makes this gorgeous song, but it ultimately <laughs> ends up that they don't make any royalties, and that was my sidetrack. Yikes. Continue. Oh, yeah. I didn't know any yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. What a fun yeah. little yeah. informational tidbit. I was just blown away that that wasn't the song. Yeah. I, it, I, I don't know. I honestly couldn't, I don't, I don't really know that Rolling Stone song, but I honestly cannot obviously imagine another song other than their sweet symphony. Of course. Um, some iconic standout scenes. Obviously we talked about the Coke necklace. Ryan Felipe's butt poolside was oh, great. Yes. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller and Selma Blair making out. Yeah. Sean Patrick Thomas hiding in like a trundle built in bed storage with a feather yes. and like, his little short shorts. Josh Jackson blowing a dude. Josh Jackson's bleach blonde hair. Oh, yeah. I feel like a lot of guys had that phase during that. Those I mean, guys years. are currently going through that phase. It's have true. you seen Pete Davidson? No, it's true. Have it's you true. seen Chris Messina? They all have, like, weird bleach hair. I'm like, are you guys okay? <laughs> <laughs> Just like when your girlfriends get their bangs cut. You're like, is everything all right? Can I sit next to him? <laughs> I'll sit next to you. Um, obviously, because this was rated R, so many of us watched this movie when we weren't supposed to. Absolutely. As credited by our wonderful and weird stories and please let us know if you have like a watching cruel intentions in a time when you shouldn't have but it left an impression on you like i guess ryan felipe notes in the article that he <laughs> that he's had several people come up to him and say that seeing his butt poolside was like a gay awakening for some people which <laughs> so, like kind of beautiful yeah he's like i didn't really think that it could have this sort of impact so like it yeah it, just as sort of it, it's an interesting uh color to add to this yeah I don't know, 
it's this blanket that we've got going on. Yeah. Um, but I think it's given the fact that everybody's watched this covertly on their parents' HBO when they weren't home or whatever, kind of given it some cachet and like official cult status. And it's a really, really significant and influential entry into like the teen movie category, even though it didn't make any money when it first opened. Um, but I believe that its ability to spawn prequels, sequels, a musical, a TV adaptation speaks to its timeless timelessness. And also, at the very least, everyone's undying fascination of watching rich, hot people believe uh, behave like assholes. And in a lot of ways, it plays out like a Greek tragedy or like some Shakespeare in the sense that like it balances the absurd with the tragic. I don't think we get Gossip Girl without cool intentions. No, and they talk yeah. about that a lot, and I will get into that a little bit with um, one of the sequels. Uh, Cruel Intentions 2, Electric Boogaloo, first of all, it wasn't called that. It was actually called Cruel Intentions 2, Manchester Prep. And you could see the bones of this turning into, like, a Gossip Girl, the way that it sort of played out. Oh, yeah. And it was supposed to originally be a TV show on Fox in 2001, but they scrapped it. And instead it became a directed uh, video movie with Amy Adams in Sarah Michelle Gellar's role. There's not really anything notable about it. It's honestly, like, a fucking rehash of the first one, but with different people. But what I am most fascinated about and that I remember more clearly is in 2015, NBC had announced that they picked up a television adaptation of this, and it was supposed to be a continuation of the film's storyline. And the original pilot had already, the original pilot included uh, Robert Cumble and a lot of the original cast in it, with uh, Sebastian and Annette's son being the, med- the main character, which I have in all caps, how does that work? He fucking dies. So, like, are you positing that when she drives away in that jack, she's pregnant? I mean, and then also, I hate feeding into this, like, you have sex once and you're automatically pregnant, like, Absolutely. fear. I mean, it's real to a certain extent, like, use protection, duh. But on the other hand, I just hate this, like, stigmatization of, like, having sex. I'm just like, you automatically become pregnant. Like, I understand they're fertile teenagers, but, like, if Sebastian can, like, fuck half that school. And not, well, maybe he paid for a couple of abortions. Oh, I was about to say, it's like, maybe he's, like, a sterling archer situation <laughs> where he's just, like, paying off people left and right here. Yeah. But anyway, I, I wrote in all caps, how the fuck does that work? He dead. Uh, but in February 2016, they secured more of the cast. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar had accepted a role to reprise Catherine. And they ended up casting Kate Levering in the role of Annette because they couldn't afford Reese. But come Halloween 2016, uh, NBC announced that they decided not to go through with the series ultimately. Probably for and, the best. Yeah, because I, if I remember correctly, I remember reading something with Sarah Michelle Gellar because I'm a huge Buffy stan and I follow her on Instagram and I read anything that's even like mentioning Sarah Michelle Gellar. Have you tried her cakesters? No, because I don't really like stuff like that, but yeah. I support her endeavors and, you know, if she puts out like a cookbook maybe I'll get it, but um, I'll never forget seeing her and Freddie Prince Jr. in a parking lot in Studio City and just being like, oh, and they just like looked at me and waved, but I was like too scared to talk to them and kept walking, but they seem like really nice people. I, I root for them. And she's shorter than you think she would be and he's taller than you think he would be. With the gray hair, he's... Oh, he's so hot Zaddy status. Even more hot. Zaddy status. I have always had a crush on Freddie Prince. I mean, whatever. I didn't during the She's All That days. What? Yeah, I know, I know, but like... Give me a dark-haired, brooding dude who can sometimes be funny. Oh my god. Just dark-haired and brooding. You don't know what his problems Mm -hmm. are. Emily, we have to fix him. (laughs) Anyway, Sarah Michelle Gellar... Uh, I believe in an interview after it got canceled, basically said that there was like it was too sexy and like there was like what when she was shooting it, she's like I don't think we're gonna be able to get away with it. And guess what? She was right. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to a woman who spent her entire career mostly in TV. I think she fucking knows like 
whatever the legal department that they have to like standards and legal that they have to like put it through before. Oh, I'm sure jo- she and Josh Sweden had to have like several conversations. Well, about Josh that. Sweden had needed to have a lot more conversations. But um, <laughs> anyway, cruel intentions. Definitely. Oh, I already touched on this, but it definitely just added to my growing suspicion as a kid that nobody really goes to high school. Yeah, you just kind of live. <laughs> Which would explain why, when I was a freshman in high school, I was like, wow, I never really envisioned myself here. People were like, why? What did you think was going to happen? I was like, all oh, movies just told me you, you just don't go. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. So what's our other sexy teen thriller? We are going to talk about Wild Things, which is, first off, wow. Um, I had never actually seen it in its entirety until this weekend. I've I seen got the text messages. Bits and pieces. <laughs> You guys, Wild Things is the ultimate Florida man, Florida woman story. Like, in honor of that recent meme where you oh, Google Florida man, while you Florida get this, woman. Yeah, I'm going to Google Florida man oh. and my birthday really quick. Oh, yeah, let me get mine up. Hold on. Let's just see what we... Florida man. So, anyway, I think it is the ultimate Florida man, Florida woman story. Um, it's, uh, like, just all the plot twists. I mean... Um, quick break though my my florida man story is florida man who threw toilet through window in east st louis found with second crapper wow yeah what's yours um unfortunately there's just like a ton of like the florida man challenge things that are coming up right now (laughs) i had to scroll down a little bit um florida man accused of double slaying denied bail (laughs) screams in court Perfect. Exactly. Absolutely perfect. Screaming in court because you murdered people and your bail got denied. Shows you not one coming. Of course. And then there's also the iconic Florida Man episode of Atlanta that was in last season with Cat Williams. It's incredible. What a hilarious... I mean, Cat Williams won an Emmy for that. Good good for him. Good for him. Any little wild things. Wild things. Really the ultimate Florida man, Florida woman story. Um, Where the girl in the who lived in the trailer, who was shown as the poor goth, ends up being the criminal mastermind with an IQ of (laughs) two hundred behind what I believe the ringer said. Let me let me get this right here. There are twelve double crosses in a movie with a runtime of a hundred and eight minutes. Then the ringer goes on to say that's an average of one double cross every nine minutes. I must say, this is the kind of math I can really get behind. Like, if algebra was like this, I would be a fucking expert. (laughs) Oh my god, can you imagine? Expert algebra maker-doer. If Cruel Intentions had three plot twists and Wild Things had twelve, and you put them together. And you put them on a train. (laughs) Going 50 miles an hour. (laughs) Oh my god, okay. So anyway, yes, our dear Nev Campbell shows up again uh, in the Who Lives in the trailer. She's a sad goth. She's poor. Um, she turns out to be the criminal mastermind behind the craziest ass plot ever. Okay, what's the plot? Breakdown? All right, I am going to try to summarize this as much as I can. Again, make- I mean, good luck. Take a deep breath. Taking and t- a deep take breath. a deep breath and a sip of water, and then we'll get into it. Because I feel like, if I remember correctly, this movie makes next to no sense. I remember watching it multiple times, being like. Wait, what? <laughs> it's basically, as we talked about it, it's like some guy was like, I want to get a couple of hot girls to be able to, ma- to make out in a pool. I want a threesome scene. I, I want, want Denise Richards climbing out of a pool. And Kevin Bacon's dick. Sky, or what's her name? Ioni Sky style. Ioni Sky style. And it's a sheer bit swimsuit, by the way. Like, you, oh my God. Anyway, you, someone wanted to get all this green lit. And they're like, but shit. <laughs> 
We need to kind of make it a little classy. I mean, it's in Florida, for God's sake. <laughs> let's not def- let's not besmirch the beautiful state of Florida. I mean, it does have the keys, after all. So there's, like, Hitchcock-esque plot twists. I feel like you're using steroids. Hitchcock so liberally, though. I know, I know. But it's like, it's like someone was, like, had seen Vertigo and was like, oh, let me add a couple more. <laughs> and then boobs. <laughs> Tits, tits, makeup, <laughs> Matt Dillon, dick, or Kevin Bacon, dick. There we go. That's his dick we see. All right, let me do this. A special shout out to The Ringer again for, for documenting all of these double crosses. Okay. Matt Dillon plays Sam Lombardo, the guidance counselor, who just has, for whatever reason, a lot of money and is has a boat and shit. By uh, the way, this character is, he continues on into There's Something About Mary. There's no character. Oh, break. no, he no. He plays the same There's character back literally to Literally in Florida. I think the one thing that changes is a mustache. And That's, the teeth. And the teeth. That's but really, he keeps all the shirts. Like, he, he keeps all the like, shirts. no, I'm taking these with me. Anyway. And like the scumbag energy, like oh, big God. scumbag energy. Big BS. <laughs> BSE. <laughs> so anyway, our good friend Sam Lombardo, played by Matt Dillon, is accused <laughs> is accused of raping two students at the high school. Wow, I can't believe we're laughing at this. I <laughs> forgot that's how this movie fucking starts. It's bad. Well, we're gonna have to go into this later of why this movie would not be greenlit in 2019. Oh my god. Wait, but- oh I forgot because this is also sorry, just quick sidebar. This has like a southern lawyer devil's advocate tie-in. Yes. Because yes. the beginning of that was like, oh, this teacher got accused by Heather Mazzarato for, and that's a tie into Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yes. It's all connected, it's Emily. It's all connected, Eric Mabius. <laughs> this is oh, our yeah. flat earth. Oh my God. All right. All of these movies exist in the same universe. Okay, I'm done. I promise. So Sam Lombardo was accused of raping two students. Um, these two students are Kelly Van Ryan, who is from a very rich family. She played by Denise Richards. Whoop, whoop. And this is post-Starship Troopers, Denise Richards. Is it immediately after? Yes. This oh, is, like, shit. her big role after, but it's, like, pre-drafted Gorgeous in the Bond movie. Okay. Oh, yeah. By the way, Brittany Murphy couldn't be in Cruel Intentions because she was busy making Drafted Gorgeous, and then immediately after that, Girl Interrupted. Good for her. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. R.I.P. And then Susie Toller, the goth teen played by, who lives in a trailer, played by Nev Campbell, fresh off of Scream, Party of Five, maybe a couple other things, but this is like, you know, peak Nev Campbell. Um, okay, so basically they accuse him of rape, and they go to trial, and then Susie breaks while being interrogated on stand, basically owns up to it that she made it all up, and that Kelly pressured her to lie because Kelly had, or Kelly, or Sam Lombardo had an affair with Kelly's mom. Oh, um, right. And Susie felt like Lombardo wasn't there for her as a guidance counselor. Anyway. <laughs> There's some bold claims and a lot of leaps of logic. A lot of leaps. And, and a- honestly, this was clearly written by a man and because so the whole, like, I lied about being raped thing oh is... Oh, my God. I, Jesus Christ. Yeah, we'll get... Music, oh, music to my ears that this guy did not have much of a career after a while. So anyway, Lombardo sue. Okay, so after that, they admit like that they were lying. So then Lombardo sues Kelly's mom for defamation, and then we find out that oh, Kelly right. and he, we find out that Kelly and Lombardo are in it together, uh-huh. and then that they want to, and it's because they want to get Kelly's trust money because Kelly can't touch that trust fund money until her mom dies, but she doesn't want her mom to die. So uh, they sue. They di- cooked up this whole plot. So he sues her for defamation. She ends up having to pay $8.5 million, which, like, really, in Florida, like, small-town Florida, you gotta be kidding me. Anyway, going on, 
We then find out that Kelly and Lombardo were in on it with Susie, and that's when we get our threesome scene where there's champagne on boobs, there's Denise Richards boobs, there's just all sorts of boobs. Boobs. <laughs> and then we find out in this bit that, well, obviously we've been introduced to Kevin Bacon already. He's a cop, and his partner, by the way, played by Daphne Rubin Vega, original cast of Rent for all you Broadway nerds out there. Um... <laughs> Quick sidebar, coming back here. So Kevin Bacon, our cop who is investigating all this, Duquette. Um, oh, and by the oh way. Oh my I God, I forgot his name's Duquette. I gotta go back for two seconds. I forgot to say that Lombardo's attorney was played by Bill Murray. By the way, <laughs> Bill Murray is top billing on this movie or one of the top billing. He's in this movie for about 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, if he's, he's in it for a he's day. He's in it like, for a cup of coffee. Yeah, he, she rolled in, shot his scenes, brace. and he's like, mm, I gotta go. I gotta go. I oh gotta my go. God. Uh, yeah. Huh. Of course, and he's like, suck it, nerds. I'm fucking Bill Murray. I get top billing. Bill Murray had a weird 90s, like Space Jam, this movie. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just like a lot of interesting appearances. But, sure. But anyway, um, okay, so, yeah, anyway, he played his lawyer, blah, blah, blah. We go back, so now we have the threesome scene. We've Meanwhile, during this whole time, Kevin Bacon has been the cop investigating all this. His name's Duquette. He starts to investigate this defamation case. He's like, there's something that doesn't sound right. You know when people go after, like, really specific sums of money? Like, yeah. you need to give me $138,000. Like, why that like sum? Like, Like, JonBenet! <laughs> yes. Yes, well, Wild Things is notoriously just like JonBenet. <laughs> we'll get it later. All the things he says. Oh man. oh, man. But, yes, I feel like something always smells fishy when somebody... Gives like a really oddly specific denomination yes, of cash. Yes, very much. Law so. and Order has taught me this much. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So Duquette is like they must be hiding something. He confronts Susie because he thinks Susie's the most vulnerable. That's Nev Campbell's character if you're keeping score. Susie then goes over to Denise Richards's mansion and is like, "I'm worried. Like, I don't know if this is going to work out." Duquette's trying to question me. Denise is like, don't worry, you're okay. Oh, yeah, um, she's like, get your fucking shit together. Get your fucking shit together. Like, and then much, yeah. <laughs> and then in the meantime, also Denise Richards is on the phone with Matt, with Matt Dillon. They're like, oh, this bitch is crazy. I guess we'll have to kill her, basically. Yeah, and I then, remember that jump in logic. I was like, holy fuck, we're here already? You guys just had a threesome. You're going to murder her? Is that, a, is that what happens in threesomes? I guess I'm not having a threesome because I don't want to get murdered. Meanwhile, Duquette's been following them to try to, you know, crack this case. And he records, because apparently Denise Richards' place doesn't have any security. For being so rich, she has zero pool. security. They're at the pool. Nev Campbell and Denise Richards start making out in the pool. And, oh, right. And Duquette, Kevin Bacon's just recording it. But they're aware that he's there, if oh, I remember right. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I will. We'll get into that. Yes. So, um, and then after that happens, I need to find my place here. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So basically, you know, Kelly and Lombardo have decided, hey, we're going to kill this bitch. Um, so later, like, Nev Campbell and Denise Richards meet up again and are, like, hanging out, making out. And then Lombardo shows up. And then meanwhile, like, Denise Richards goes and grabs a blanket because uh, Lombardo's like, yo, it's getting cold out here. You want to grab? Because they're in the swamp area. Right. If they're, like, the beach swamp. That yeah. was never entirely clear because then they yeah. start... I thought it was a beach, and then they started making allusions to, like, oh, the gators will get her. I'm like, wait, are we at the beach or are we at a swamp? There's a lot of gator imagery throughout this movie, and, like, if Emily, if I were still 15 years old, I would have done so much symbolism shit on this, like, in my freshman English class. I mean, this movie, I don't really think it's that deep, though. No, it's certainly not. I think it's It's just, like, this person knew that there are gators in Florida, and he's like, all right, maybe gators eat people. (laughs) 
I don't know why he's gators. southern. So anyway, this escalates. Um, Lombardo kills Susie with a champagne bottle and buries her in the swamp. Um, so he and Denise a Richards A pretty cool leave. way to, like, die, though. Oh, like, yeah. Getting beat with, like, a champagne bottle. Like, that's pretty... Um, oh God, from Dynasty, Joan Collins's character. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh God, Alexis. Alexis. Yeah. It's a Alexis Carrington way Alexis, to die. Yes, yes, very much. So then the next day the cops uh, investigate. They find Susie's teeth in the swamp area. Oh, and right. they, the Lombardo's the prime suspect. Sorry, I'm just going to keep saying oh right to everything that you say because I'm remembering parts <laughs> of this movie. It's like you just remember and you're like, shit, how did, like, anyway, going on. So then Lombardo <laughs> to, you know. Lombardo's like meanwhile gives the school so they suspect Lombardo for murdering Susie. Lombardo meanwhile gives the school a file on Kelly about her instability since her dad died from suicide and uh, set, uh ultimately setting her up for this murder. Sure. Um so then Ducat meanwhile Kim Bacon's character goes to confront Kelly about this file and like the murder and like you know accuses her and all that. He ends up shooting Kelly and kills her out of self-defense because oh, right. she shoots him in the arm. Oh, yeah. I remember feeling like that was super dramatic response to being shot in the arm. All as in the top. pool house. Yes. And okay. you, don't, you don't see anything until Duquette is walking out, like, injured. So right, shit. right, right. Anyway, so Duquette um, is fired from the police because <laughs> there had been an incident in the past. Um, which oh, right. Plays, he's a dirty cop. He's a dirty, which plays into later. We'll talk later about that. <clears throat> then he ends up uh, so they just, he decide, the police decide that Kelly, in fact, killed Susie, um, because Kelly's dead. So Lombardo escapes all charges and moves to the island, which in the beginning you hear them talking about with, like, the money that they got. Um, right. Anyway, so you see, uh, Lombardo goes to the island, he goes back into his, like, hotel room because he was on the beach or whatever, and then you see Kevin Bacon get out of the shower, and you realize both one, that they're both in on it, and two, that's where you see Full Frontal from Kevin Bacon, which was not intentional, by the way. Apparently, the director thought that Matt Dillon's arm would be covering Kevin Bacon, but once they saw the film, they were like, it's there, and Kevin Bacon's like, whatever, let's go for it. <laughs> because Kevin Bacon is a producer on this, you guys. Oh, God. He saw this script and was like, what the fuck, this is complete trash, and then just kept reading it and was like, shit, we gotta get this made, so... God bless Kevin Bacon and I mean, your, like your we pre-made-off money. I was going to say, I'm like, this was, like, before he got defrauded out of millions. Oh, my God. And Ugh. forced Kara Sedgwick to be on 100 seasons of The Closer. <laughs> Kara Sedgwick is The Closer. Kara Sedgwick is a woman who wears a leather jacket. She's a tough broad. She's going to close it. Yeah, it's crazy to me that Kevin Bacon was like, yes, this is the one. I'm going to throw my name behind this. I would love to know why, like, just why, I guess. What about this script? This, I feel like Wild Things is begging for a think piece. It does. I know. That's, and this is something that surprised me. Like, again, God bless The Ringer and a couple of other publications for putting a couple pieces out there, but there were not some deep dives on this, and I was a little sad about it. I was a little sad. Um,. So, well, one that a deep dive, I guess, that involves the cast and the crew. Because yeah. I'd be very oh, yeah. curious like to oral history, but yes. like someone would make a joke about like the oral history. <laughs> Good one, Good one, M. God. Okay, sorry. So, oh, I know. Kevin Bacon penis. Okay, so Matt, Dill- everybody's in on it. I so, remember that reveal was actually shocking to me. Yeah, so Bacon's in on it, and we're like, uh, we're, or what did I write? Oh, <laughs> we get to see his bacon bits. <laughs> So I do not condone this part. I know. It might get edited out. <laughs> Why? Are you going to edit this episode? Maybe. I'm leaving it in if I have to do it. Kevin Bacon. 
So we find out that Duquette and Lombardo were in on it together all along. Denise Richards was completely collateral damage. Like, that was an accidental killing. So then the next day, uh, Lombardo and Duquette go sailing together. And during that time, Lombardo's like, yo, can you help me do this thing on the boat? So then, uh, okay, that's a big plot point, by the way, throughout this whole thing. Lombardo is a sailor, which I don't really know how he affords this lifestyle other than having a rich girlfriend at the beginning. But Oh, right. Good on him for being, and especially Florida, like a state that probably from a public education like standpoint is not paying much. But also, on the other hand, like you said, he's a fucking high school guidance counselor. Like, like how much money could he possibly he's, be he's making? He's living large in this unless small he county lives next. unless he lives on the fucking boat that he owns. I don't really see it happening. He, he does not because the threesome scene takes place. In oh, his, in his shitty apartment. Okay, yeah, shitty, yeah, yeah. He's got a shitty place. I mean, it's um, on the ground floor. It's not no, great. No, and it's, it's got great. that like 80, 80s dentist like beveled glass. It's, it's like a like a diet coke. Almost like Laura Ashley in Miami Vice had a little thing, you know, like yeah, like nineties looking... muted Florida. I just remember thinking that it looked like a rave in a dentist's office. That's true. That's a good call because the lighting was always super bonkers to me. It was... so like it's so off putting, and I don't know. I mean, it's obviously a product of its time, but I couldn't tell if it was in, like an intentional thing. Yeah, like oh, we want to really like have this red gel over this light for this dramatic Shh. murder scene. You're like what? So strange. There are other ways to convey murder. <laughs> so so back so Lombardo um, is like, yo, can you help me with this boat thing? So Duquette goes and helps him, and then Lombardo steers the boat so it throws Duquette off the boat. So Kevin Bacon's in the water, but then he was able to grab on a rope. So he gets back in. He tries to kill Lombardo. Meanwhile, Nev Campbell shows up. Surprise! She's alive and blonde with a short hair. Oh right. <laughs> so then she kills Duquette. And then, um, and we find out she's dead. She, so we all find out this whole thing was orchestrated because Nev Campbell, Duquette, like, killed Nev Campbell's friend who, because he had had a thing with a woman who I think was a prostitute, and she was dating a dude that was Nev Campbell's friend. Duquette got jealous, killed the dude, and then was, like, he, that's when he was a dirty cop, and then um, Nev Campbell orchestrated this whole shit on her own and we find out it was pretty much on her own because oh my God, she it's the plot of the show revenge pretty much he per- she proceeds <clears throat> to kill matt dylan's character lombardo via poison they they do a champagne oh, yeah. toast and then he dies from poison why does she murder him though he's like the last she, loose end yeah she just wants all the money yeah there's nothing really i feel like if i recall correctly do, like lombardo never did anything to her really it's just she wants the money. So then I you mean, you're her- the one who watched it on Crackle most recently. Oh, my God, you guys. I have been, I think I've said this before, I've been doing the Lord's work trying to find out what streaming networks have these movies. Signed up for so many random streaming CBS, apps. All Access, Crackle. I think we'll have to do an episode, you know, once we're done with our first season where I go into every single thing I signed up for to watch stuff for this. I mean, the darkest text message I've ever gotten from Emily was, I'm watching Wild Things on Crackle. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. anyway, so that's that's wild things. So, um, much like Cruel Intentions, this one had three, not one, not two, three sequels. And I'm gonna go over these direct to DVD mo- uh, names. Wild Things Two, pretty boring. Wild Things colon Diamonds in the Rough. That's a porn. <laughs> Finally, Wild Things colon Foursome. And the notable appearance in that fourth movie, which just cuts to the chase by calling it foursome, uh, include, is Ashley Parker Angel of O-Town fame, who we will talk about in a future episode. 
Um, oh, and then Matt Dillon was almost played by Robert Downey Jr., but because of his drug issues, couldn't do this, much like the Ally McBeal plot. That's why, like, oh. he left. It was because he was going to rehab. Interesting. Yes. Oh, so that was around the same time. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I mean, this is interesting because these four main actors are all at weird parts of their career. We went into, like, Denise Richards was, like, post-Starship 2, Strip Troopers, pre- Bond movie, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Nev Campbell, Post Party of Five, Post Scream, Matt Dillon, uh, it's Post There's Something About Mary, and, like, he had just done a bunch of stuff in the 80s and 90s. And then Kevin Bacon, I was looking at his 90s credits, and it's, like, you know, it's, like, JFK, it's A Few Good Men, it's, like, these pretty, Apollo 13, like, these prestige movies, and then Wild Things. But I think that, to be fair, the only people whose career was relatively hurt by this movie were, was the dude who wrote and directed it. Yeah, we never... Like, everybody else didn't suffer very much consequence. And, I mean, same with Cruel Intentions in a lot of ways. It was... A, a Cruel Intentions serves as, like, a touchstone for anybody in our age group. Be like, oh, yeah, that was the first time I saw Ryan Felipe or his butt. Or... And then yeah. it launched their careers because so, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, I knew... Like, I was always a Selma Blair fan. Like, I love her in The Sweetest Thing or something. But... Act. This is the first movie I remember seeing her in. Yeah, meta moment here. So we've talked about, I know, I, I've seen Pen15. You haven't seen it yet. So I won't go into too much details, but there is literally an episode where they illegally, they get through a, an older cousin a copy, a VHS copy of Wild Things. Oh, and wow. And watch it. And it was just like the most, like, looking at a mirror moment. And some pretty, like important plot moments happen during that watching of the movie. Anyway, shout out to Pen15. Um, Wild Things, just like, I think the other thing that's worth noting was there was going to be another sexual plot twist where the shower scene would have had Kevin Bacon and Matt Dillon together kissing. Ugh! What the fuck? I want that! I know. So they decided, one, it was too many plot twists, and two, I mean, it's 1999, like some people, or 1998, like people are still kind of dicks about things at that point. Sure. I mean, but in so many ways both these movies could not get made absolutely now. not absolutely too not. much sexual coercion too much I don't know there's just like there's so many of it that there's so much of it that's very of its time and I'm at least in the oral history that I read everybody's resounding comment was like I have no idea how Cruel Intentions got made period but it definitely could not get made now same with and that things. like blackmailing Selma Blair into sexual favors and and all sorts of other like betting on people I mean it was sort of like a really sexy trading places where no one's poor and everybody makes bad choices. False rape accusations and wild things. I mean, the fact that we have these underage girls probably in like a threesome scene with a guidance counselor with from a their guidance school. counselor from their school. Yeah, it just would never get. Honestly, life. I feel like the least crazy thing they could have done was to have Matt Dillon and Kevin Bacon make out. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it would have been a better movie in some ways. Well. The next set, and I don't know if it's a teen it's sexy thriller, but it's definitely a sexy teen sci-fi scary movie. Yeah. We're gonna get into the faculty. Yay! Um, I did not realize this because I did not see the faculty in theaters, but the faculty was released on Christmas Day in 1998. Its box office competition that week was "You've Got Mail" and "Shakespeare in Love." This is wow. peak 90s alternative programming. Either see Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks fall in love or watch Elijah Wood, Josh Hartnett, and Usher murder their alien teachers. Merry Christmas! <laughs> Great times. This is directed by a pre-spy kids post from Dust Till Dawn, Robert Rodriguez. Wow. And written by the incredibly prolific Kevin Williamson. I mean, honestly, if you watched anything from 
1996 through 2004, it was probably, and oh, that's probably, that was when, uh, Cursed with yeah. Christina Ricci and Young Jesse Eisenberg, I think that was, like, one of his last feature films that I recall coming out. That was an original feature film by Kevin Williamson. Yeah. Because he did Scream 4, and I'm sure there's been, I'm sure someone else will tell me that I'm wrong, but off the top of my head, Curse is, like, the last original thing that I think that he's written, and he's just written so fucking much, it's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, um... Faculty was originally supposed to be Kevin Williamson's directorial debut, but somehow, some way, Robert Rodriguez got kind of, like, roped into it, probably to sort of add... Because if you remember anything about the faculty, it's... The tone was, like, pretty grindhouse, which I think also is the tone that Robert Rodriguez generally goes for, and I think... Spy Kids. (laughs) Even Spy Kids! I mean, I think this is a good precursor to Spy Kids in some ways. Yeah. But he's still keeping, like, the kitschiness of From Dust Till Dawn and all, like, the vampire jokes and, like, being really meta and having, like, a larger critique of, like, teen society, like, teen culture and society and how they view teens. Yeah. Um, but this is, like, sort of a mix of, like, body, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Thing, with a bit of, like, Stepford-wise camp. Yeah. And the way that the aliens turn everybody, when they, when they turn people, they become, like, well-mannered, conservative, overachieving versions of themselves. But the movie, at least the opening scene, narratively speaking, it is structured similarly to Scream because B.B. Newarth, who plays the principal, gets stalked and killed by a group of teachers who have already become aliens. But similar to Scream in that sense where, like, Drew Barrymore gets murdered and, like, we don't really know how it's going to play into the larger context of the story. But we get something, like, shocking and scary yeah. to sort of, like, get us going. Um that was sort of, I would say, uh, a signature Calvin Williamson move that he will go on to repeat over and over again. But in the same vein as Cruel Intentions, it launched the careers of many of its actors, uh, or serve at least as like a touchstone for millennials recalling this movie as the first time they saw perhaps Drew Jan- Jordana Brewster, or Clea Duvall, or Josh Hartnett, or nice, Elijah Wood. Nice Fast and the Furious tie-in. There. Yes! Oh, there we go. Um, like a lot of movies of its time, it had another iconic cover of Another Brick in the Wall, performed by Allison Chains, Lane Stanley, and Raging Against the Machines' Tom Morano, which I thought was like truly bizarre combo of people. Um, oh other God. iconic moment or other iconic people to note in this movie: uh, Selma Hayek as a school nurse and John Stewart as the science teacher. Stewart has like one of the best best deaths in the faculty because he gets stabbed in the eye and then like a bunch of white shit comes out and he's sort of like ash from Alien when they chop off his neck and it's like weird like milk and like ramen comes out. Oh God! <laughs> Late nineties special effects. Uh, Alien. I mean, I was directly referencing Alien, so it's like 79. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. But the 90s effects, they did look... I mean, they looked campy, but I felt like it was sort of... It was in the tone, and it was in the genre of, like, what they were trying to do, which is, like, have a little bit of, like, some camp to it. Right, right. But another notable... There's a couple notable things in terms of what they were trying to either say subtext or textually, and also in terms of, like, what they were trying to, like, visually sort of setting it apart from other, like, teen movies, Mm -hmm. were the 80s-style freeze frames with the interactions of all of the characters. So they'd be like, you saw Elijah Wood get off the bus, and you watch him get bullied and thrown to the ground, and then it's 80s freeze frame. Oh, yeah. Fucking Eddie Murphy at the end of Beverly Hills Cop, like thumbs up at the window. We're, but we're it, doing freeze frames right now. Yeah, you guys. we're like freezing. Anyway, and then it would be like Casey, and they did that to all of them and sort of like slotted them all. So like Clea Duvall's like the goth misfit, and um, Jordana Brewster plays Delilah, and she's like the popular girl, and all of them are like doing their stereotypical thing or playing their stereotypical role in high school, and then they freeze frame and then name. So we get introduced to all of them. And Usher, if you'll recall, is also the drug dealer. 
cool stereotypes. Oh, dear God. Still cool stereotypes. <clears throat> but this movie is weirdly pro-drugs because, so, Usher sells a, a made-up drug called scat, and it's like a combo of two things that I did not think was important enough to write down, apparently. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> doesn't that sound like an anti-drug PSA? Like you might've heard this on its street name, scat, but the scat, if you do a line of scat, it proves that you're a human and not an alien because the aliens similar to the aliens in men in black, like need water, right? Not, I mean, it didn't need sugar water, but it needed water to like survive. But there was some sort of reaction with them being hella hydrated and this scat drug that like didn't work well together. And so that's how you find out that Delilah has been possessed uh, Jordana Bruce's character has been possessed by this alien queen <clears throat> who turns out to be the new girl Mary Beth that everybody's sort of like she's weird but like she's still part of the clique and then you find out that she's the queen alien bee but yeah so they they have to prove that they're doing drugs and it sort of seemed like the message was like doing drugs is cool it proves that you're a fucking human especially if you can handle your shit so yeah. do this line of scat pussy anyway I always thought that was <laughs> like a really strange tone especially in retrospect I didn't really remember too much about it feeling pro-drug. I did remember feeling, because I rented this from Blockbuster. I did not watch it when it came out. Christmas Day, I went to go see uh, You've Got Mail twice in theaters. That was the joy of having divorced parents. As you could say, to see the same movie twice, neither of them were the wiser. And I saw You've Got Mail twice in theaters that weekend. So I missed the faculty. It wasn't marketed to me because I was like 10 or 11. But I rented it a couple years later with one of my best friends during one of our sleepover nights from Blockbuster. And I remember that I thought it was really funny Sometimes scary, gory, but overall really entertaining, and it had hot guys that sometimes took their shirts off. Or at least, like, I remember Usher wearing some questionable, like, Tommy Hilfiger, Tommy Hilfiger clothes, which did a quick Google machine search, and turns out that there was a Tommy Hilfiger tie-in with the faculty, which I think is, like, what? Kevin truly... Williamson and these tie-ins. I don't understand. It was, oh like, like, 90s Spawn Con is completely wild. I also think it's another movie that I think it did it did do well and not I think I know it did do well when it first came out yeah you know uh, box office rating wise and it did get a positive reaction but now in hindsight with people re-examining the movie I I saw that there's been sort of like a negative reaction to sort of the ending of the movie where people feel like it was like a letdown like it's this like high velocity roller coaster and you're like really pumped up like are they going to defeat their evil teachers and are they going to escape this? And like, oh no, the call is coming from inside the house, aka their friend group. So how's this all going to resolve itself? And I believe it is Elijah Wood's character shoots like an extra large thing of scat at the alien and murders it. And then at the end of the movie, we flash forward a month later and like Elijah Wood's character, who is like the nerd that gets beat up, is now like dating the most popular girl in school. And then the jock who confesses to hating being a jock and wants to quit football does that and he's dating Clea Duvall and she's no longer goth and so that sort of like fell into like um, a breakfast club yeah, sort of I stereotype. Say, yeah. I think that people might have like misread that. They thought it was disappointing that like oh all you need to be happy is like date the popular girl or date a cute boy or like I don't know sell drugs. <laughs> Actually I believe Usher's character uh, joins the football team instead but he's still oh right he still does crazy shit like just like smokes a cigarette like on the field like in between practice. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. I, and I th I personally thought that they were, like, in a Jacob's Ladder scenario the first time I saw that movie. like, oh, they must just be, like, in some alternate universe where, like, it's all controlled by aliens and they're all playing a part. It's it's really in a snow globe that an alien <laughs> That is an alien shake. Or uh, if you want to follow the Krampus ending rule, you're just an ornament on a tree for Krampus <laughs> at the end of this movie. I don't know. I think that some people have pointed out that it's really just that the cycle repeats itself. Like, and I, and I think it's true to real life, like, 
you can get bullied or I think by the time you hit senior year in high school you just stop giving shit and so yeah. things just start to work out differently right but yes there will always be the underclassmen beneath you that will be filling these certain ter- stereotypes that you might have filled beforehand and that high school is secular secular Sorry. did I say this right cyclical cyclical god damn it thank you I love being on cold nights but yeah that's faculty it's our sexy sci-fi teen thriller and then we had another Kevin Williamson. Another Kevin Williamson joint? And in fact, it is his one and only directorial. It's his directorial debut and finale. Oh, really? I thought yeah. that he directed Cursed. He, so. Hold on. Sorry. Well, Carry on. I'm doing some light Google. Well, well, so while she's checking, so um, Ke- Kevin Williamson wants to give our dear Katie Holmes a vehicle. Oh, no, you're totally right. Yeah. So, I'm so sorry. I think that, um, what's his face? Wes Craven. Yeah, that's it. Right, 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 right. Okay, they work so much together. They did. Sometimes it blurs a little bit in my brain. So, anyway, Kevin Williamson wanted to give Katie Holmes a vehicle. This is like, Katie Holmes, I think at this point, had been in Go and Disturbing Behavior, I think. And obviously Dawson's Creek. And so, you know, obviously Scream was a mega hit. Dawson's Creek was a mega hit. So then this script had actually been shelved originally and uh, pre-Scream. And then Kevin Williamson writes Screams, huge hit. Dawson's Creek comes out. It's big. So then studios oh, so are like, hey, here's yeah, money to do whatever. Do it's whatever. Sort of like what happened to the dudes in uh, Knocked Up. Like, after that was a huge success, they're like, uh, hey, Seth Rogen, do you have anything? And that's how we ended up with Superbad. Oh, my God. Because it was like an old script that they got. Yeah, they had yeah, He and Evan Goldberg, right? Yep. Um, so this was actually based on the book, uh, Kill, uh, was it? Killing or Mr. I'm forgetting what the original the book was called, but it's it's somewhat based on a book. It is, and it was like so. This was like a YA serial writer because right. I read a couple of her books. And um, the movie itself was originally titled Killing Mrs. Tangle, but was delayed and then retitled due to the uproar over um, violence in teen movies since uh, Columbine happened around the same time. So then the movie's name is reach, is changed, um, and that made me think of that song Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus, which is also on the Dawson's Creek soundtrack, so that's why I brought it in here, um, which there was a line that was, uh, her boyfriend's a dick, he brings a gun to school, and that was completely taken out after that. So anyway, uh, the movie comes out, and what's interesting is the cast. I mean, you've got Katie Holmes, Barry Watson from Seventh Heaven, like, I think he's the oldest Camden sibling. <laughs> Um, a woman named Marissa Coughlin, who I think had been in Starship Troopers, and then Helen Mirren. I know. Dame Helen Mirren, pre-Oscar win. I mean, obviously. Obviously. Dame Helen Mirren as Mrs. Tinkle, the titular character. Good use of that word, if I may say so myself. Um, Okay, so basic plot. All right, so uh, basically um, Katie Holmes is a small-town girl. Her name's Leanne. She's got a mother who's a waitress, and she's, like, really smart and just wants to get really good grades and get out of her shit town. And her teacher, Mrs. Tingle, is out to get her and just, like, always belittles her and is, like, a bitch to her. Um, So there is this project that Katie Holmes works on, and Mrs. Tingle gives her a bad grade because of one technical inaccuracy in her history, history presentation or whatever. And gives the other girl, who's, like, the rich teacher's pet, a good grade. And then, meanwhile, the bad boy character, Luke, played by Barry Watson, offers Katie Holmes uh, the final exam, but she's like, I'm not going to cheat, so, because he got a copy of it. She refuses to cheat. He stuffs it in her backpack, and then 
she finds Helen Mirren to Mrs. Tingle finds it and is like, I'm reporting you to the principal's office. So they go and then the principal's not there. So she's like, I'm going to report you tomorrow. And they're like, shit, what do we do? And she's with, um, Katie Holmes is with her best friend who has a crush on Barry Watson's character, the bad boy, Luke. So they all three go to Mrs. Tingle to try to convince her that Katie Holmes is innocent. This was like a complete mistake. Like she's, she's cool. So she, one refused to believe them. And later it's like implied that she, believes them but isn't going to change her mind and like she's still going to report it to the principal so barry watson this shit this one shit hits the fan takes the crossbow from one of the other oh. history projects shoot and like acts tries to threaten her but then accidentally shoots her and knocks her unconscious oh, so then they hold her captive and in um they'll call they call her as they call in sick for her the next day and are holding her captive until she you know wants to change the grade and meanwhile, during that time, the coach comes over, who is played by Duffy Tambor, and we're not going to talk about him more, um, comes over. You find out that they have a relationship going. So Katie Holmes kind of impersonates her voice, blindfolds him. He passes out because he's been drinking. And then they proceed to take sexy photos of the two of them to well, blackmail right. that Mrs. Tingle to get to Katie Holmes a better grade. Meanwhile, Mrs. So Katie Holmes and bad boy guy leave. Mrs. Tingle wake like comes to and tells the best friend that Barry Watson and Katie Holmes slept together. Yep, which wasn't the case yet. Uh, oh right, because they have like angry sex in her house. Yes. So so she she gets mad. Best friend gets mad. She storms out. Katie Holmes then confronts Mrs. Tingle because she's, like, realizing Mrs. Tingle is just jealous of me because she, I am a small-town girl, but I'm going to get out of this place, and Mrs. Tingle didn't get to get out of this place. And Mrs. Tingle's like, bitch, please, I was you, and this is what your life is going to amount to. Oh, yes. And, and then oh, Katie God. Holmes is like, fuck this. And then she goes and has angry sex with Barry Watson, and then she goes and changes her grade in the book and uh -huh. changes the goody to po rich. Post-coital. Post-coital. Changes Goody Two Shoes' grade as well to a, a B plus, um, which and then uh, later they you know run off and um, they oh God, I'm trying to remember what happens after this. I think like they report so so then I think the principal comes in or like the the teacher's pet comes by and uh, they there are she's, a couple of close calls. Yeah, there are a couple of close calls. I think the last one kind of ends in the teacher's pet coming by. Um, she is, uh, she sees Mrs. Tingle. I think she's knocked unconscious. can't remember all of this. Long story short, the goody two shoes comes back and, um, they, someone, there's a, someone's presumed dead. No one's really dead. Later, Mrs. Tingle confesses to it all. They all get away oh, with right, it. Oh, right. Cause isn't there like sort of like the goody two shoes shows up. Shows up. And then like. Katie Holmes and Barry Watson are there. Oh, they're afraid she's going to go and tell. Right. Yes. And so they then proceed to shoot her, I think. Or I thought Mrs. Tingle shot no, her. No, Mrs. Tingle shot, shot her. And, 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 because she was trying to shoot Katie Holmes. This is it. Okay. So Mrs. Tingle then is trying, like, escapes her ropes or whatever. And then, like, proceeds to shoot, uh, try to shoot Katie Holmes. But then Goody Two Shoes gets in the way and she shoots her instead. So they think that she's killed her. And then they, like, try to revive her, and she's like, a B plus? A B plus? Because she's oh, like, that's right. all she cares about. And then the cops show up, and Mrs. Tingle just, like, sh you know, confesses to everything because she's guilt-ridden. She's like, yeah, I try I was trying to kill Katie Holmes's character. <laughs> and basically, yeah, everything is cool, and then at the end, Katie Holmes is a graduate, is the valedictorian. Yeah, it's so bizarre how they just 
get away with it. Oh my god. Okay, so the author who wrote all these like sexy teen thrillers is Lois Duncan. Lois Duncan. So it was actually originally called Killing Mr. Griffith. Yeah. Um, and it was about a group of teenage students at a New Mexico high school who planned to kidnap their strict English teacher. So a lot of the same similarities. Um, and also Lois Duncan wrote the inspiration or the book inspiration behind um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Wow, good for her. And Summer of Fear, which was adapted into a horror movie uh, directed by Wes Craven. I read a lot of her books in high school because I remember reading The Killing Mr. Griffin, which I thought was teaching Mrs. Killing Mrs. Tingle, but obviously I'm not correct. But I remember loving all of her books. Yeah. So she wrote a lot of like YA Oh, thriller yeah, horror yeah, yeah, yeah. fiction that a lot of movies ended up being adapted That's, into. That, cra- that is crazy that uh, several of those books were Kevin Williamson, Wes Craven, you know, universe. In so many ways, I think that she was like a, a precursor to Meg Abbott, who writes oh, yeah. a lot of really good, like, pulpy thrillers that, yeah. like, center on, like, teens that do freaky shit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think you're right. So one of the things that came out of this really is this was actually not obviously a very successful movie. Um, it's kind of more of a sleepover staple because I think a lot of people just kind of rented it. Right, um, and I think that what's his face Barry Watson is like a draw because he was like a hottie. Yeah, the, oh yeah, because this is like peak seventh heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, this is before we knew everything. Um, and uh, yeah, the, I mean it was like you know it was a minor hit, nothing actually not even a hit really. It was a box office bomb, didn't do really well. Um, there wasn't, I was really hoping to see more in terms of think pieces here, but I guess it was pretty forgetful. And I think the biggest note here is just like a realization of how far Helen Mirren has come. Like was this, you know, English thespian who, uh, but yeah, the, the people who were considered for this role, um, Let's oh, shit, sorry. I got momentarily excited because I thought that they shot part of it at my high school, John Burroughs. Oh, it was El Segundo, right? Yeah, no, but they shot at John Burroughs Middle School, which is in Larchmont. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking now at who they were considering giving the role of Mrs. E. Tingle to. Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, Sigourney Weaver, Sally Field, and Gillian Anderson. All oh of them said, gosh. no thanks. And Alicia Silverstone was considered for the Leanne role. Interesting. That's like... What would Alicia Silverstone been in at that point? It's like excess baggage. Do you remember? That? And Clueless. Well, I know Clueless, of course, but like uh, around probably, like, 90, yeah. it's like I mean, uh, apparently we're the only two people in the world that remember excess baggage because uh, Benicio excess, del Because I brought it up the other day with some friends. I was like, oh yeah, excess baggage. They're like, what the fuck is that? Have you like, never seen excess? No. And a friend of mine, my friend John, who is loves to fucking gas me up with shit. He was just like, oh, Benicio Del Toro was never in a movie with Alicia Silverstone. And we Bullshit. got to, like, this massive argument. Bullshit. No, he just likes to do this shit to, like, grind my gears and get me upset. But we had, like, this long debate where I had to explain the plot of Excess Baggage to three people who'd never fucking seen it before. It was very weird. Didn't it come out? And it came out before Gone in 60 Seconds. But for yes. whatever reason, I, like, I... But, like, John was like, why would she kidnap herself? I was like, why does that even do anything in a movie? Why are oh you asking God. these questions? Suspend your disbelief and trust me that this movie's real. This is turning into, like, the John Mulaney never wrote for SNL thing. Like, it's just, like, so intense. It's so intense. need to rewatch that movie. Maybe not, though. I don't know. I don't so, know. I don't know. Um, so, so, long story short, I mean, I think this is one of those ones that's I, I was hoping would have more ammo, and it didn't really, and it just kind of was a little bit forgetful. I mean, truly, it could have been, like, an ABC Family right. sort of, like, TV movie, like, a uh, Holiday in Handcuffs type situation. Pretty much. I think it was just really notable is, honestly, Helen Mirren. Like that's... Helen Mirren slumming it, and Katie Holmes sort of being, like, in a sexy teen thriller. Yeah. I mean, disturbing behavior, I guess, sort of set the 
was sort of like the first of that, but and that because has, Joey's yeah. so innocent and honestly kind of borderline fucking annoying. So annoying. On Dawson's I can't re- oh, the rewatch. For I me can't watch. She drives me crazy. Yeah. I just want to rewatch the episode where Busy Phillips gets drunk and then drives through someone's house. That's all I care about watching. I loved Busy Phillips on Dawson's Creek. I did I give you the book to read? Are you no. the person who has it? I anyway, mm-hmm. I read her book. I actually really liked it. Um, and she talks about that period though, and it was like they, you know, they wrote that character because at the time she was dealing with some issues and drinking and stuff. And, oh yeah, yeah, she talked about it on. Yeah. She was on Keep It last week. Oh yeah, and she had talked about how she felt sort of like isolated and. In, especially where they shot like all yeah. they did was hang out with each other so. and she felt like everybody else had something kind of going on outside of Dawson's Creek and so she just sort of self-medicated a lot fun fact about where they filmed Dawson's Creek by the way Wilmington North Carolina is also where they filmed One Tree Hill yeah and they filmed the Andy Griffith show and they filmed like several like small town type places um and I used to go there a lot as a kid because my parents accountant lived in Wilmington North Carolina <laughs> yeah R.I.P. Mary Ellen well I feel like we have wrung out yes all that we could from these sexy teens actually i have one question where did you watch cruel intentions it was probably am I oh yeah your like, hbo, yeah, 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 HBO and yeah. then where did you watch teaches teaching mrs tingle sleepover okay definitely rented it at Blockbuster. and then watched wild things just a few days ago a few on, days on ago crackle. yeah on crackle did you also rent the faculty um, I think I did. I want to say with the faculty, I'm not remembering it as well because I want to say in traditional Emily fashion, I fell asleep probably while we were watching it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but it'll definitely be a rewatch very soon. I'm just always surprised at the sheer star power that are in these movies that were sort of throwaway or critically panned or didn't make any money and how a majority of the people have like walked away from what some would now probably considered like a career blunder relatively unscathed and with better careers than when they entered the movie yes yes i think the most interesting one which is a you know older movie screen but like leave schreiber for me as cotton that's cotton weary cotton weary <laughs> which in the third movie gets his own talk show. i mean skeet ulrich has now come full circle and he's like on riverdale good for him i almost called it riverside <laughs> we were listening to many murder podcasts yeah, lots of people get murdered in Riverside. All right, that's a different show. Uh, <laughs> uh, do follow Old Millennials on Instagram at Old Millennials Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Emily A. Beijing. You can find me at Margs She Wrote. And until next time, bye. Bye.